0: Good morning. It's good to have this number out with us for our morning half of our worship service. And if you have your Bibles, be opening up to the book of Genesis. We're going to go way back. You know how we like to back up. We're going to back way up in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. As we remember Adam and Eve, as we uh, remember the outcome of Adam and Eve and the outcome of man to their disobedience of God, god to their one command that he gave them do we remember what that one command was do not partake of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we're going to look at that again and as we move into this lesson but take notice of something the weakness of men and their trying of an escape if you will so as we turn there to genesis chapter 3 we're going to begin reading in the first verse Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Let's stop there in verse 3. So if we back up. If we back up in Genesis chapter 2, and we look at verse 15 and following. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in in that day if you eat of it, you shall surely die. All right, well, in verse 18, we continue on. And the Lord God said, "'It is not good that man should be alone. "'I will make him a helper comparable to him.'" And of course, there's the following. uh, God made Adam go to sleep, and he took a rib out of him, and he formed woman out of that rib. Eve was not there. Eve was not there when God gave Adam the command to not partake of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one that was in the midst of the garden. Eve just told the serpent here in chapter 3, in verse 3, says, We can't eat of that tree. For God says, In the day that we eat it, we shall surely die. Adam told her what she needed to not do. We have one command. We have one instruction from God not to do. And that was it. All right? So, as we move on into verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Well, your King James says, you shall surely not die what god said they shall the servant says you shall not <laughs> you notice he changed one word he added two he the, the word not we're going to see the outcome and we see that unto this day the outcome of that three letter word is very powerful it's powerful it's powerful enough to take human beings away from the presence of god And we see that 3 lettered word unto this day causing folks to be condemned on Judgment Day. N-O-T. And in verse 5. For God knows that the day that you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God told them not to. For God instructed them what they should do in not knowing what's good and evil. They were in a covenant relationship with God. They walked in the midst with God. Having a conversation with Him. And that's the way God intended it. So here the serpent is using that deceptive tool that he loves to use unto this day for the weakness of men. Their curiosity, if you will. So when the woman saw in verse 6 that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate she also gave to her husband with her and he ate a lot of folks say this is wood it was all Eve Eve tricked Adam. No, he was there. He was present with her as the serpent was tempting her. Well, back up in verse six. Look, so so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, oh, Satan was working on her heart. Before this is well, we can't partake of that, so it's not good to eat. God told us not to do it, so we're going to be obedient to the one instructions we have. To not eat of that tree with the knowledge of good and evil. It's not good to eat. So when Satan says, On that day your eyes will be opened. Making one wise. You have the knowledge of God. Hey, that tree looks good. It's it's, it's interesting now. Look at it. I want want to eat that, that fruit. I know God told me not to, but I'm going to do it anyway. She eats it. She takes it. And she eats it she also gave it to her husband Adam was with her and they both ate let's think about this scenario real quick previous to this act of that sinful act where sin came into the world well let's look at the word sin anything that's disobedient in God's eyes sin right Previous to this, sin was not in the world, was it? Whenever man, Adam and Eve, partook of that fruit, the thing God told them not to do, sin entered into the world. Of course, God already had his plan of salvation. He already had it orchestrated. He already had it created. It was ready to go. He was just ready to hit play. Well, here, we're fixing to hit play. We're fixing to hit initiate, start, ready to go. Previous to that, there was no need for any salvation. Because Adam and Eve wasn't going to die. They was alive spiritually. They were with God. They had that covenant relationship with Him. They walked in the midst of the garden with Him. Oh, and then the servant entered the picture and he deceived them and tricked them, thinking that was pleasant for food. And then verse 7 then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They were ashamed. They were ashamed of what they had done. Fast forward several thousand years. How about today? A child of God, when, they're, when they've given their heart to God through baptism and they're living faithfully for, the, for their lives and they've struggled with one thing and they've sinned. How does that sin make us feel? That sin when we disobedient to God, are we happy with it? Or are we shameful? We're shameful because we have that disconnection. Isaiah 59, 2 tells us that separation happens whenever we sin and fall short, our eyes, God's eyes and ears is turned away from us, and we're alone. So here, Adam and Eve, they have shame. This is we 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 need some clothes. We're, We're naked. We need some clothes. So they sewed those fig leaves together and then they made themselves coverings. And in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Here we go. Again, shame. Here, previous to this act of partaking of this Fruit that God told them not to partake of, and do what they wanted to. They, was, they would be waiting for their friend, God, to come along and walk with them in the cool of the garden. Here, God's coming along in the cool of the day in the garden. Adam and Eve hears him. What well, they do? They hide. We've got to get away from God. We've got to hide ourselves. We don't want Him to see us. He already knows. God has foreknowledge. He already knew this was going to happen before he even created Adam and Eve. But here we see man wanting to hide themselves from God. And you're right, Mark. I heard you can't do it. You can't hide from God. We can't hide from God today, and they couldn't hide from God there today. In verse 9, we see God. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. There's that word, A-F-R-A-I-D, afraid. Why would they need to be afraid of God? They needed no reason to be afraid of God previous to the knowledge of the tree, excuse me, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Previous to that, they had no reason to be afraid. See the workings of Satan? Adam and Eve was in the garden. We we like to think of the term, they had to be. They had to be. Everything was prepared for them. All they had to do was tend the garden and stay away from that one tree. And Satan says, sure, go ahead and partake of it. In a matter of speaking, you're not going to die. God's just trying to trick you. You're not going to die. What happened? What happened? We're going to read. So here they're afraid. They want to get away from God, and they, they want to hide themselves. They have to cover themselves. He says, "We're, we're naked. I don't want to hide myself." Verse eleven, he said to, "Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat?" God already knows his answer. Says, you did it, didn't you? Like a little child, right? You yeah, know this little child that protects the little cookie. Gets and you told him to stay out of there. He goes to the cookie jar and takes that cookie out and slides the lid over there. And he's eating this chocolate chip cookie, right? You ever seen a child eat a fresh chocolate chip cookie? And there it just smudges all over the face, right? And he's eating that. Mm, it's good. It's, and the mom turns around. And the child turns around like this. With eyes wide open. The Mom asks, did you take a cookie of that cookie jar? Well, that child tend to go, mm-mm. I didn't do that. Oh, the evidence is all over their face. Right? It's all over. Yes, you did. God already knew the answer. So Adam and Eve didn't go, mm-mm. We're going to see the blame game happen. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you, that you should not eat? Verse 12. Then the man said, <laughs> here we go. Notice what the man said. This is Adam. The woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the tree which I ate. The woman did it. It's the woman's fault. He was there with her. See there in verse six. She also gave to her husband with her. He was there and he ate. Here Adam's telling God it's the woman whom you gave me. Not only is it the woman's fault, it's your fault, God. Oh no, wait a minute. How can it be God's fault? God told you not to do something and you did it anyway. All right, we see God move along. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? So the question to the woman is, why did you do such a thing? Why would you give the fruit to your husband? Because he's telling you that you have done it. Oh, the woman says, Well, oh, wait a minute. It's not my fault the serpent deceived me and I ate it's not my fault God it's not Adam's fault it's the serpent's fault the old blame game we're gonna see the outcome of that blame game it's passing the blame does it does it justify them in that act It does not because God told them not to do something and they done it anyway and we will see the outcome of the serpent so, so the Lord God said to the serpent in verse 14 because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. All right, take notice of that. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Here, a God is instituting his plan of salvation. You might say, huh? When did he do that? I didn't hear anything about Baptism, I didn't hear anything about Jesus Christ. I didn't hear anything about that. If you study it very carefully, you will. I will put enmity between you and the woman, not right? an enemy, Satan being an enemy of man because of what he had done. And now he's having to have the outcome of what he had done to the woman. And between your seed and her seed, that seed there is Jesus Christ. That seed there, the second seed, of my new King James is capitalized. And if it's not, capitalize that because And between your seed and her seed, the woman's seed is Jesus Christ. He shall bruise your head. In other words, Christ is going to defeat Satan on Judgment Day. Jesus Christ is going to win with salvation for those who are faithful. And you shall bruise his heel. All you're going to do is slow him down. That's all you're going to do. God is giving his plan of salvation is instituted already before the creations of the world his plan of salvation so passing the uh blame we, we understand that that doesn't make you clear that doesn't make you justified that does not clear you from any blame that you have done verse 16 remember the woman gave uh, was deceived by the serpent but well, the serpent got his outcome so we see the woman because she partook of the fruit To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Outcome of woman for for the rest of eternity. Well, excuse me, upon this earth. She will bear children and have pain in it. And the husband shall rule over the woman because the woman was tricked by the serpent and Adam was there now don't get me he doesn't clear him at all now we see Adam we see the man then to Adam he said because you have heeded the voice of your wife wait a minute was he not heeding the voice of God no he was not he voided the he, the, he heeded the voice of his wife because God gave the instructions to Adam he knew better Adam gave it to the woman that being Eve and they both disobeyed god because you have heated the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which i have commanded you saying you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground for your sake in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life but thorns and thistles it shall bring forth you and you shall eat the herb of the field and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Man shall die. Huh? Verse 19, God is telling Adam, You shall return back to the dust in which you were created. If you back up, whenever God said, We shall make an image in our, make man in our image, he took dust from the ground. He breathed life into it. In in chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. God created man from dust and so shall we return because of this act that we're talking about this morning. The disobedience from God. Mankind shall perish from this earth. Alright, so now. We see the lesson there in Genesis chapter 3. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We got a little sneak peek this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. So you might ask, well, what is this concerning about salvation? What is this concerning about a Bible lesson? What is this concerned about the outcome that I don't want to be in the same boat that Adam and Eve were in about being dead on Judgment Day. Here's what Christ's wish is. Of course, the writer of Hebrews here says this. In Hebrews 10, we're going to start in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the matter of some but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation. There's that word, fearful. We had fear with Adam and Eve for well, they was afraid, afraid from God, they wanted to hide. But now we see this judgment, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. And fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries oh so what's an adversary of God someone who is lost not a justified sinner someone who is lost so we see this idea if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth this is Christians written to this is written to you after you've been baptized for the remission of sins you might think well I've been baptized I'm good for the rest of my life. You know, the idea of what saved always saves goes out the window right here. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, that being the gospel, adherence to it, and putting Christ on through baptism, there no longer remains that sacrifice for sins. That act that Christ going to the cross for you, it doesn't exist for you no more. If we sin willfully, let's stop sinning willfully. When Eve was tricked. Was deceived by the devil Adam was there with them they knew and without a shadow of doubt what they should do here's the fruit should we eat it should we not eat it? the little serpent says we shall not die oh it looks good too we we can have the knowledge that God has let's just eat it and they did sinning willfully right knew what they weren't supposed to do and done it anyway A certain fearful expectation of judgment. How was Adam and Eve after they partook of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? When they heard the voice of God coming through the midst of the garden, excuse me, the cool evening of the garden, they heard his voice. What did they do? They wanted to hide. They wanted to run away. They wanted to get away. And the outcome Today, we can see it for that very act. All right, so turn back again with me to... Oh, um, my a bookmark. Just slid off in there. John 14, verse 6. Christ's wish and his want is for no one to be lost on Judgment Day. That's his want. That's his wish. He offers something significant. He offers something wonderful. But we have to make the choice to be obedient to it. We have to make the choice to heed the words that God would have us to follow and be obedient to it. John 14, 6. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right? Again, whenever cry God gave his plan of salvation, actually, was give it to the serpent. And notice this. Whenever the serpent would bruise Christ's heel. They're just slowing down. But who's going to be victorious? Jesus Christ is. He said, did God not say your seed and his seed, the woman's seed, excuse me, the serpent's seed and the woman's seed are going to be enmity against one another. And the serpent's seed is going to bruise the heel of the woman's seed. But this woman's seed is going to bruise the head of the serpent's seed. It's not a double talk there, right? But what that's saying is, Christ will be victorious on Judgment Day. He was already victorious today. Remember three days in the grave? He told his disciples and apostles and those who were uh, soon-to-be apostles, those who was listening to his voice, those Jews, and he even told them, he said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They said, well, how long did it take to build this temple? Yeah, I disagree with you there, Jesus. He wasn't talking about building He was talking about his body. And to this day is at the right hand of God. He offers us truth. He offers us life. And he offers us a way to live. Because we can't get to God without him. He also prays for those future believers with us today. John chapter 18, excuse me, 17. John chapter 17 starting in verse 20. John 17, in verse 20. Previously, he prayed for his disciples there who were with him. Verses 6 through 19. In verse 20, he prays for you. He prays for me unto this day. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me. And I and you, that they may also be, be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, and I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfect in one, that they that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it. And the love with which you love me may be in them as I in them. That's Jesus Christ's prayer for them and for us today. That we may be one. That we may come together to have unity. Adam and Eve was cast out. If you continue reading on in Genesis chapter 3, they were cast out. And a flaming sword was there to prevent them to getting back to the tree of life, which I'm thankful they didn't get to because so no one can be In sin and be alive. Because when we sin, when we fall short, we're dead. We're spiritually dead. Christ, he offers life. He offers justification when, as a child of God, comes back through repentance, through asking for forgiveness, through our confession that we have sinned, we have fallen short, asking God to forgive us. He will restore us. He's faithful in doing so. His promises is true. His word tells us he will. So my encouragement, my question this morning, do you need to come back? Are you in that fearful status that Adam and Eve was in as God was approaching? We have sinned. We need to get away from God. We need to get away. He don't need to see us like this. Do you need to shed that fearful expectation of a fiery judgment? Are you an adversary of God? That's a wonderful question we need to ask ourselves. Or are you his friend? Previous to the fruit, previous to the deception, Adam and Eve had a wonderful relationship with God. That can be restored today, in a matter of speaking. As a faithful child of God, Christ promises us something wonderful. Revelations 2.10, he promises the church is fixing to endure some serious persecutions. The church, nonetheless, he says, be ye faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Has that lost, have you lost your grip on that promise? Come back to it. Come back to through forgiveness, through repentance, through confession. Does that need to happen this morning? And if you are outside of baptism, if you are outside of a, child, uh, outside of a covenant relationship with God, are you not a child of God? Have you not been baptized for the remission of sins? We encourage you to do that. Terry, not, wait no longer, because we don't know when Christ is coming. He is coming. So why don't we be faithful this morning as we stand, as we sing the song of the invitation. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to have this number out with us for our first half of our worship service. And this morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. We think about the, uh, the faith of those in, in the days past, and we have encouragement from those. And uh, first off, in my mind goes to faith, I think about Abraham. And Abraham is is mentioned here. and We're going to recognize the ideas of, of our faith and how we measure up to those earthly examples. And, of course, we have Jesus Christ's example himself as an encouragement for his faith to his heavenly Father and as well, our Father as well. So Hebrews 11 gives us an example or the definition of what faith is. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now the faith... Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, right, we think about faith. How is your faith? Your faith is going to be your encouraging steps in your everyday walk of life. Your driving force, the things that keeps you faithful. Now, God has given us a promise. I hope we realize that. God has given us a promise to those who are faithful. This idea of faithful in the eyes of God, is a necessity in our everyday spiritual life. Without it, we're lost, right? So when we come back to the idea of faith, I want you to ask yourself a question. How is your faith? Your faith is strong when you're with your fellow Christians, and your your faith is strong when you're with those who are obedient. Now, it may dwindle. It may become lacking, or lagging and wanting when you're separated from your family, your church family, and you're out there in the world. Because we think about Satan. We think about the old devil and he's he's prying at us, his fiery darts are attacking our hearts, and so many folks adhere to the devil's wants and wishes. He 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 custom tailors his temptations. And we think about faith. We think about the idea of being obedient to god's word and his command first two tells something significant for by it the elders obtained a good testimony this testimony of jesus christ now whenever christ gave his testament and that testament became effect became a testimony when he died on the cross it became effect it took power As we receive instructions from the elders, of course the elders being the writers of the Bible and the instructors from us today through the words and through the years, are we obedient to it? Because they obtained a good testimony and by as we obtained the testimony through their studies, we obtained the same testimony. You, You need a little enlightening what that testimony is? That we have an opportunity to be saved on Judgment Day. I said opportunity. Why did I say opportunity? Because God is not going to save all. Huh? A lot of folks would look at you funny. God's not going to save everybody. He's not. He's only going to save those who are faithful. If you need a wake-up call on that, we may mention that this morning in Bible class. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone says unto me, Lord, Lord, shine into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And I will declare unto them that day. That's judgment day, right? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. If there's a departing happen that says God's not going to save everybody, we have a testimony. We have instructions from God through his son, through encouraging writers of the Bible what we need to do, how we are to behave. Have you ever assembled something? Have you ever had something that that needed instructions on how to assemble and you followed those instructions letter for letter and it turned out looking like a bicycle if you was trying to build a bicycle, right? If you was trying to build your child this toy and follow the instructions word for word for word and uh, this child has a toy to play with. We have instructions on what our faith should look like. What does our faith actually look like? Because we can have faith in many things. God would wish us to have faith in his son. How does one have faith in Jesus? How does one have this opportunity of being obedient to God through His Son? As we read in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 11 By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. You might say, wait a minute, the he, writer of Hebrews, why is he talking that way? Why is he speaking that way? Because it makes us think. No one has seen God at any time. They hear his voice. Adam and Eve heard his voice coming through the garden when they became afraid. Remember after the last Sunday sermon about the idea of them being obedient to Satan, taking partaking of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and they become afraid. They become wrinkled they was naked. They made themselves clothes, right? And they heard... The the voice of God, not his actual form, but his voice walking through the cool of the evening in the garden and they became afraid. No one has seen God. He's invisible to us here on this earth. The things were formed that we see today was made by something unseen. The voice of God, he spoke it into existence. If that ain't power, I don't know what else is. By just being able to speak something, to form something into existence. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The power that God has to be able to make everything function. I use the solar system as an example. Every other planet in our solar system is uninhabitable. We can't live there. No men have tried. We can't live there. It's impossible. But here we are up on this planet that we call Earth. If we were just a fraction of a mile away from the Sun we'd all freeze to death a fraction just a fraction if we were a fraction too close to the Sun we'd all burn up it'd be uninhabitable but look at us over the years round and around we go in the Sun's earth orbit perfect to sustain life that's not all the things that we don't see that still sustains life, that you're doing right now, that you wasn't even concerned or even knowing that you were even doing it until I do this right here. (sighs) You're breathing. Now you're like, now I'm breathing. That's that's a gift from God. Yes, it is. He gave us the oxygen to breathe to, to sustain life. The water that we drink that sustains life. He gave us our bodies. He gave us our heart. He gave us our soul. All gifts from God. All spoke into existence as he scooped that dirt, that dirt out of the excuse me the dust from the earth and he breathed life into it and formed man and here we go here we are today now that being isn't it wonderful to have faith in that to know as he promises something he is faithful to provide he will not falter he will not lie to you when he promises something he will give it. And he promises two things on Judgment Day. Two things. Either life or death. Now, of course, as spiritual people, we like to think about the life. So let's start at the death. Save the best for last, right? We see this promise as given to Abraham. We're going to make mention of that. But as we look at the, the bad side of it, a lot of folks don't even want to consider whether it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, in the Bible class, we made mention of this as well. John writes in Revelations, he refers to it as a lake of fire. It's a place designed for Satan and all the false prophets. How many of us want to spend an eternity there? As as spiritual beings, we're trying to get away from Satan. We're trying to get away from him. We want nothing to do with him because he can't promise us one thing. But those of a worldly mind are going to reap death. As Paul refers to in Romans chapter 8, those who have a carnal mind are going to reap death. So we think about that horrible place that nobody wants to audibly say, well, I want to go to hellfire. That's where I want to go. Nobody's going to audibly say that. But our actions speak otherwise. Our lack of faithfulness is going to speak otherwise. Now let's look at the positive. Let's look at the positive side of God's promise. Because again, He promises two things, either death or life. Hebrews 11, verse 5, we see of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken it. We, some, we see a being or a person that was just taken by God. That's a loving God. That is a loving God right there to take someone who is that type of person. That says a lot about Enoch because what? Just right. The things that he'd done, he was obedient to him. It was pleasing to God that what Enoch was doing and he just took him. He was no, no longer found. Does that not sound familiar or What? So when God promises everlasting life into Abraham's bosom that we learn about in Luke 15. That Hadan world, that temporal place where there's Lazarus and the rich man. We learn there about the idea of a temporal place as we wait for the coming Christ. And we'll reap our rewards there as well. Remember where the rich man ended up? He ended up in torment. You know, when Lazarus, he was over there in Abraham's bosom. For those who are obedient to God's word will end up. And then after that, when Christ comes, Judgment Day happens, we'll all be transported at the right hand of God. Now, if I don't know if that's encouraging to be faithful or not, I don't know what else could be. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All right, verse 6. Knocking the ball out of the park right off the bat. Again, if we are lacking in faith and we try to come to God, it cannot happen. It will not happen. To believe that God is. Because I know there's a lot of people out there in the world that doesn't believe in God whatsoever, for now. Which, again, my question goes back to how many atheists are going to be in hell? Not one. Huh? Not one, because all are going to see God on Judgment Day. They're going to realize, hey, there, there he is. He does exist. Oops. My mind goes back to that comment. My mind goes back to that little commercial back whenever... Uh, the M&M's candy sees, since it's the Christmas season, the M&M candy sees Santa Claus and I look at him. He goes, he does exist. And Santa Claus, they do exist. Oh, on Judgment Day, all will say he does exist. So let's believe today. Let's make sure that through his instructions, through the things that are around us, because it's evident, it's proven. You Notice in verse 1 of Hebrews, go back there again. The word evidence is there. Hebrews 11, verse 1, now faith is the substance or assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, evidence, it's not blind faith, you can prove that he exists, and I will say this, every time that someone has gone to try to disprove God, they ended up proving him more. It is impossible to please God without faith. So again, I'll ask you a question. How is your faith? Do you believe that God is a rewarder of of those who diligently seek him? Verse 6 says he is. We think about the idea of someone who is carnal, someone who doesn't care, someone who is lost. Well, let's see. If God's going to condemn me, I'm just going to say he doesn't exist. I don't want to have faith in that because that's a proof of perdition. That's a proof of condemnation. That's a proof of that eternal place that I really don't want to be so I'm just not going to say he exists. Folks, that will not fly. We made reference to this just a few minutes ago. Matthew 7 verse 21 through 23. They're going to fall in that 23 category except for 22 because they're not doing the will of Christ's Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. So let's make sure we're doing his will. Verse 6, with that context, we've got to have faith. We've got to have faith in Christ. We've got to have faith in God if we are to come to him, if we are to be pleasing to him. And remember Noah. Verse 7 gives Noah as an example. We say, oh, Noah, do you remember Noah? Remember the outcome of Noah? The reason why we learn about Noah was because of the wickedness of men. What did Noah do? He built an ark. He, he, just, he built a boat. <laughs> he built a massive boat through the instructions from God. And before, it had never rained before. The mist come out of the ground, water to the ground, and that's all it needed. It had never rained before. No one had ever seen water falling from the heavens. Never. So here Noah is building this boat. He says, what are you talking about? What are you doing? And he's encouraging them to come out. He was... He was an instructor. He was a teacher saying, y'all need to turn from y'all's wickedness. They did not. Verse seven, by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness which is according to faith. Noah had faith. Noah had enough faith to build that ark because God told him to. You have this much time. You need to build it. And he got to work. Even from the rebuking of those who were saying, what are you doing? This man's crazy. He's lost his mind. Don't you think they felt a little bit odd when the rain started coming down? When the gates in the, of, of, the, of the depth opened up, water started rising. The water started rising, they got to the highest mountain, right up to their necks, right up to their chins, they're going, We should have got on the boat with Noah. Oops, it's too late. Because if you notice in that lesson, if that's instructions when you're studying Noah and the Ark, who shut the door? God did. God shut the door. This door was massive. It was it was so massive that Noah himself couldn't shut it. That's another lesson in of Noah's faith. The instructions from God. And and if, if Noah wouldn't have had faith, he says, Well, how am I gonna shut that door? It's not gonna float this big old hole in the side of the ark. How am I gonna shut it? God said, Don't worry about that, I got that. In a matter of speaking, God shut the door. Once he shut it, that was it. Condemned the world as he was obedient to his heavenly father. God gave him instructions, he followed them. Does that not sound familiar today? Whenever we follow God's instructions today, he promises something wonderful. He promises something through his son. But We got to be obedient. We got to have that faith, but not a blind faith, not a dead faith. James chapter two speaks of that dead faith, of having faith, excuse me, having works without faith, and faith without works. We got to have the works that backs our faith up because in the absence of works, James says that faith is a dead faith. And that's not really and truly believing in God because he gave us the talents to glorify him through our works. And if I'm not mistaken, we're going to be judged of our works. So I said we're going to get to Abraham. Hebrews 11, verse 8. Remember, old Abraham, he was considered the friend of God. Yes, he was a faulty man, just as you and I are. And he made mistakes. Here we see Abraham and his faith in God. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. There's a wonderful lesson in Abraham. And the type of faith that we should have from Abraham Genesis 12 to Abraham Genesis chapter 22. Now just about anybody can be that Genesis chapter 12. What we need to be yearning for is that Genesis chapter 22. At 22, whenever he offers his son upon that altar when God told him to, to offer a sacrifice, offer your son, his only son, that through the promise of that son, that many souls were going to be saved. He was going to have a wonderful household. His descendants were going to be numbered as the stars in the heavens, the sands of the sea. So how's he going to, be, how's he, how's he going to do that if he's dead? And When I offer him, is he going to die? Oh, what a wonderful lesson that is. In Genesis 22, whenever he takes the lad from the donkey... He piles up the, uh, the wood, enough stuff for the burnt offering, and he tells the two young men with him. He says, me and, the long, me and the young lad, will be back. We're going to return. He's going to kill his son. So how can he say we're going to be back? He knew God was going to suffice. He knew God was going to take care of him. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, that's Genesis 12. God calls us out. Just, he says, Go. What does he do? He went. Today he calls us to go. Now, do we go or not? That was past tense, right? He went. So I can't say, can we went? It sound funny, right? Do we go or do we not? When God tells us to do something, are we doing it? Or are we holding back? Are we, are we throttling back? And we says, well, I can't do that. Oh, my mind goes to Jonah. You remember Jonah? He tried to run away from God, did he not? He said, I can't go do that. I'm just, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to get away from God. No, we can't get away from God, folks. That's impossible. So what did he do? God rebuked him by sending a great fish to eat him. He swallowed him. Now, I know that's a Sunday school lesson, but what a wonderful lesson that is, right, for us as adults. We can't run from God. In that rebuking, what did he end up doing? Oh, he walked with God. He says, okay, thanks for the wake-up call, God. Let's go do this mission. And Nineveh was saved through that act. He said eight words. He said eight words. I'm not going to tell you what those eight words are. I'm going to make you go home and find out what those eight words were to the entire Nineveh The outcome was overturned. God was ready to destroy it. Those eight words overturned God saved because they turned away from their acts. Here Abraham, he went. God told him to go and he went. And by faith he dwelt in that land of promise in verse nine. As in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which had foundation those builder and maker of God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man to him as good as dead, were born as many of the stars of the sky and the multitude, innumerable as the sands which are which is by the seashore. I want to ask ourselves a question. We see these examples of, of, of men. We see the examples of women with great faith. My mind, again, goes back to Sarah whenever the, the she was had received the news that she was going to bear a child. You know what she did? She laughed. She laughed with me. She, what? That's how old I am. Seasoned. Oh, it slipped out. I'm sorry. Seasoned, right? I'm sorry. And I see them smiles. Seasoned, right? She was a well-seasoned age. I'm well past childbearing years. Oh, but yet and still, she bore a son. How is our faith today? We see these wonderful examples of earthly folks having a great faith in the eyes of God. Save the best for last. Turn with me to, where did it go? 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. The the context there starts in verse 7, so we'll start in 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for the love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. And in verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him, Jesus Christ. No greater faith than anyone has ever had in the eyes of God. The son of God coming to this earth, putting on flesh and living a faithful life to his heavenly father. God gave him a task to do, to come to this earth, seek and save the lost. He done that. That commission has been given to us as well. I know I made a promise. I'm going to have to say it since they showed up. Someone prepared the way for Jesus Christ. You remember who that was? And he told he told those individuals who was being who was being prepared for him. He says, "There's one coming after me who's greater than I." Whose sandals I'm not worthy to lose. It was John the Baptizer. As you (laughs) promised. So, whenever we think about faith, he had a great faith as well. Through serious opposition, through serious opposition, they stayed faithful. Today, we have a wonderful opportunity to be faithful to our Heavenly Father. We need to wake up. Just a little bit to wake out of our sleep, to no longer slumber in the eyes of God, to lay say, to lay sin down, tell Satan, I want nothing to do with you, to come to God and to be faithful, just as these men and women have, as an example we have. How is our faith today? Is it strong? Wonderful. Continue in the faith. Is it weak? Is it lowly? Is the is the knees hanging down? Let's mend those. Let's mend those opportunities. By, by that I mean turn away from your sins because those sins makes us weak in the faith. It destroys us. It kills us. And it destroys us on judgment table because God is a rewarder of those who faithfully serve and seek Him, or seek and serve him. He's also a rewarder of those who disobey him because we can have two rewards. One of everlasting life or everlasting destruction. Both are rewards of our Actions. So let's make sure our actions are pleasing in the eyes of God. Let's make sure we have the faith that measures up to His Son by going to the cross, giving His life for those who love Him and those who spit in the face of Him, those who are slapping Him in the face. He gave His life for them as well. Are we slapping Him in the face this morning? Do we need to come to Him? Do we need to come back to Him? Why don't we do so as we stand? And as we sing the song of invitation.